All right, so a couple weeks ago, I think it's two weeks ago, yeah. Was it two weeks ago? Three. Okay, three weeks ago, something like that. We'll, we'll go three. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what day it is half the time, but um, we talked about um, grace, and we talked about, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by the grace we have been set, excuse me, saved through faith. It is not our own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I love that because no one can say, it's what I did. It's the, the dropping the money in the offering plate. It's helping the person along, alongside the road with a, a flat tire. It's none of that stuff we can ever use to gain merit and say, well, because I did this stuff, God gives me grace. It doesn't work that way. And it's great because we don't have to, oh my gosh, did I check my boxes today? Did I, did I do enough good things? Did I read enough of the Bible today to, to gain God's merited, unmerited favor towards us. So when we start to look at it, what is salvation? Salvation is a free gift to us, but it, can't, it comes at a cost. Salvation is not, not something that God just said, well, you know, I'm just going to hand it out for free, but it doesn't cost something. Anything good always costs something, am I right? Anytime you want something good in life, most of the time it costs you something. It costs you money, it costs you time, it costs you labor, it costs you heartache sometimes, but getting there, it's always good. And, and we look at salvation and it's, a, it's an extended gift to us, but it was, it was purchased. It was the blood of Jesus that purchased that grace and that, that mercy that was extended to us. So it's not anything that we've done that can gain salvation. Everything that we've received from God is a free gift, but it took payment for that free gift for us. So we talked about what do we do with grace? You know, grace is, is something that is extended to us and it's always there, but do we, um, do we continue to live a lifestyle? After we receive Christ, do we continue to live a lifestyle that we did before and just make his grace cheap? We're just going to keep sinning and, and just extend his grace. I need more grace, God. Every week you come to church, oh, I did this again, God, and you just keep, I need more grace and more grace. Well, he understands what you did and his grace is always extended to you. As a born-again believer, when we accept Christ, His grace is extended to us. But do we continue to make it cheap by continuing to sin? Paul says, no, we don't. We have to continue to walk out of sin when we're born again. That way we don't make His grace cheap and make His grace something that we just constantly need. And you ever, you ever experienced that where you just feel like you can never do it quite right? You're like, God, I just need your grace to cover this. And he's that mindset is is a dangerous mindset when we start to live in that because God's grace is extended to us. But when we start to continue to go back to him saying you need it, we're not quite grasping the whole picture of what his grace is and how it was extended to us. Because what's happening is, is we're, not gain, we're not understanding a certain function of, of salvation that when we are born again, we're supposed to walk away from sin. We're not supposed to, to, like, well, I sinned, and then I came to church, and I worshiped, and I really felt good, and I said sorry to God, and then I went out the rest of the week, and then I sinned and did more things and more things, and then I got to church on Sunday, or I read a Bible verse on Monday, and that was enough to get me to Sunday, and I really felt bad about myself, and then I said I'm sorry, and then I repented. I, that lifestyle isn't, isn't there. You know, we look at, I was reading about um, church history and um, Martin Luther, how about how he confronted um, basically, the, the Pope of his day saying, quit selling uh, things for salvation. It was like, well, the, these, these 
saints that went before you did so many good deeds that we're going to sell you some of their some of their grace that was extended to them so you can have it. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, but we have to stop and look and say, okay, if I God's grace is extended to me, if his salvation was given to me, repentance means to what? It means to turn from. It doesn't mean to kind of, you know, keep an eye on, you know. It's like, and I, I feel like sometimes that's how we as people are. We, we try to turn from. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm turning from sin. And we keep it, we kind of keep, we rubberneck just to make sure we can keep an eye on what we love that we know we shouldn't be doing and the way that we shouldn't be acting in order to walk in his grace, but kind of, you know, keep an eye on what we, we want to go back to when we feel angry or when we're lonely, when we're, we're hurting, we're depressed, whatever it is. We, we go back to that because we want to keep an eye on it to know where it's at when we are struggling so we can go back to it. And, and, and Paul says, no, don't make his grace cheap. Run from sin. Don't keep an eye on it. Oh, like, okay, stay right there because I'm going to have an argument later on. I'm going to need to know some really good words to say to that person when I get in an argument because I'm going to lose my temper and I'm going to say things I don't mean even though I know I shouldn't say I'm still going to say them. We've all been there, right? Yeah. But Romans 5.17 says this. It says, For because of one man's trespasses, Death reigned throughout one man. Much more will those who receive abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. I love what it says. It says, it says, abundance of grace and a free gift of righteousness. Think about this. Righteousness could never be on us. We would never be righteous. The only way we are righteous is in Christ Jesus. That gift of righteousness was given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ because he stands before God and the, and, and the Father looks at him and says, you are righteous. I see them in the blood of Jesus Christ. They are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. That now makes them righteous because of the price that was paid by Jesus for his blood to be shed for us so righteousness could be given to us. And then it says in verse 18, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. Adam screwed up. Jesus came to fix that. He said, by that one man's sin, we all became sinners before we were even born. We were going to be sinners before we were even born. And God knew that. So he says, okay, Adam screwed up, blamed it on his wife, and I had to push them out of the garden. But I'm going to bring one man who will fix this, who will take and say, you know, hey, I can take sin for you, so you can now have a, a, a go back into a better relationship. I believe now we have a better, we can have a better relationship with God than Adam and Eve actually did, because there's nothing being hung over our heads. Righteousness was given to us, salvation was given to us, eternity was given to us, mercy was extended to us, grace was, is shown to us daily, and we now have the ability to go to God, and we have the Holy Spirit. Think about this. They had God, but they had to walk with him in the garden. We have the ability to go to God on, on a momentary basis. Like right now, I'm asking what the Holy Spirit, what I need to say in two minutes. It's, it's the ability to go to, God, go to the Holy Spirit and have that connection with God that they did not have, that we have. And it, it's so much better to walk with the Holy Spirit than to walk in the garden waiting for God to come to you. 
they were waiting for God. They walked, in, they walked in, in fellowship with God, but they waited for God to come to the garden. We can walk with him daily. We can walk with him momentarily. So, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I love that. It says sin was there. Sin came to ensnare us, entrap us, hold us down, bind us. Where sin increased, grace abounded even more. So think about this. The law and grace don't work well together. They, they, they are together, in, in where, but they're like oil and water. So it says, where the law came, excuse me, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, law abounded, excuse me, grace abounded even more. So think about this. If we have the law, we look at the law of Moses and we look at, you know, the Ten Commandments, you take the Ten Commandments, that's, that's an easy thing to, to, to live by. God gave them such an easy um, ten things, just, just live by these. It, it'll be okay. If you follow these things, it's going to be super easy. You know, like, don't kill your neighbor. Don't kill your neighbor, take his wife. Don't, you know, kill... You know, your neighbor and steal his money. Don't, you know, just don't do these things to people. It's common sense. But we took, as humans, do you ever take something that's so simple and say, how can I really screw this up and how can I add more to it to make it like, okay, so I work for a company that has a lot of rules and regulations because it deals with a lot of people's cash and, you know, investments and stuff like that. And there's a lot of rules. You have to go and look through the rules on how to do it. And it's, it's complex. Sometimes you have to look and say, okay, how does, how does compliance work with this? And how does security work with compliance and, and compliance work with whatever it is? And, and you have to go to your compliance office and say, so, hey, how do we do this and get and do this legally and be able to do this legally? So if you ever, if anybody works with that, you should, you'll know there's just rules and regulations that we have to follow in order to do it the right way. That's just how humans are. God gave us 10 simple rules said, this is the law. Follow this and you'll live well. And we're like, hey, how can I really screw this up? How can we add like 600 more things to it? How can we really just make it so obscure when people are understanding it that they don't know if they're following it or breaking it? How can we, you know, like say, hey, don't do this on Sunday, but you can do this on Sunday. Um, don't do this, but do this. Like, I read some of the, the rules that they had placed. I'm like, how did you even live? How did you walk outside your door without breaking it and not... Like, and then, you know, like, hey, 600 rules, we broke one. Oh, I got to go sacrifice for this one. Oh, I broke this one on the way home because I forgot I was not supposed to do that. Yeah. But we look at that and the law was so simple for us to follow, but they made it, muddied the water. They, they added to it. They piled upon and piled upon so no one could actually follow the law. But he says grace came. And grace is what's great about Jesus is he brought grace and said, hey, you know what? I'm here. I'm going to help solve all this. I'm not coming to get rid of the law. I'm not coming to um, get rid of the Ten Commandments. I'm not coming to get rid of what God said for you in the beginning to follow. I'm coming to fulfill and show you how to live in that fulfillment. He's like, I come to fulfill the law so I can show you how to walk in the, in the law, but walk in the law with grace. 
Here's the thing is the Ten Commandments are good. We shouldn't kill people. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't commit adultery. We shouldn't do all these things. But Jesus didn't say, I'm coming to get rid of it so you can just do whatever you want. You ever heard that person? Well, I just, I just live in grace. And, you know, I'm like, oh, please don't tell me that. It's that person. Well, I just, you know, just grace covers everything. Yeah, it doesn't cover your bad behavior. Um, and it doesn't cover sin. And you just think you can do whatever you want because we live in grace. Yes, grace is extended to us, but it doesn't just say you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do and talk however you want to talk. There's a consequence for our sin. There's a, there's a, a, it may not be eternal consequence, but there's still a consequence. So if I go to my neighbor and I not, and I, he walks to the front door and I slap him across the face and say, I hate you. There's a consequence to that. I'm probably going to get punched in the face maybe. And I don't want to get punched in the face or we're not going to have a good relationship. Never punch. I never slap you in the face. I, I love you. Just that look on his face when I said that, I was like, I would never do that. I would never do that. I love John too much. But here's the thing is, when we, when we think about, hey, I'm just going to say whatever I want to say, there's consequences to that. We teach our kids, hey, there's consequences to your actions. But for some reason, as adults, we just think that it doesn't happen once we're adults. Oh, there's no consequences. I can, get hit, hit in the head with, I can hit somebody in the head with a chair and get away with it. No, it doesn't work that way, right? Yes, it doesn't, get, it doesn't work that way. There are consequences to every action. So, Romans 5, and it says this. It says, what I love, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded even more, so that, so that sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. God designed us to live in relationship with him. And by Adam's sin, God wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. God knew what was going to happen, and he had a plan for us from the beginning of time. Before, before he even created Adam and Eve, he knew what was going to happen. And he said, you know what, I know what they're going to do, but I love them enough to give them the opportunity to do that, to make that choice. And he said, but when they do that, I've got a plan that's going to change what is happening with them. It's going to change how they relate to me. It's going to change how they, re- they live in their life. Because they don't have to be afraid of missing it or, uh, you know, that one rule that you didn't break and you didn't repent from it and you didn't offer up a sacrifice for that. Paul says, says, what shall we do then? Shall we continue that in sin that grace may abound? Here's the thing is, grace is extended to us, but do we want it to be like a constant thing? Oh, I just need more grace, God. I need more grace, God. It, it's about, con- it, when our connection is, is good with God, it's not that we're like constantly going back to him saying, oh, I sinned, I need, to, I need you to cover me. It's, we're, oh, you're like, you're getting to that moment. And he's like, hey, think about this. And you're like, oh, wait, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that. It, it's that, that's the Holy Spirit in your head saying, don't do that. That's not prob- probably not the right way. But you're like, I want to do it. I just want grace to abound on this situation because I want to do what I want to do. But Paul says, no, don't. He says, how can he who died to sin still be alive to it? So here's the thing is, Jesus died for all sin, our sin, past sin, present sin, future, whatever it is. But he says, Paul's saying, Jesus died for our sin 
how can, and if, and when we're born again, when we are, uh, accept Christ, it says that we were buried with him and we came up new. So how does a new person pick up the old sin? How is someone who died to sin keep sinning? He's like, you can, if you've died to sin, how do you continue to live in that sin? How do you continue to walk in that if you, if you say you've died to it? So, the heading of Matthew 5.17 says, Christ came to fulfill the law. And it says this, do not think I have come to abolish it the law, or the prophets. Here's the thing is, God set the prophets in place to, to help lead the country, lead the nation of Israel in understanding the law and to tell them how to live their life with the law because they weren't doing too well. Um, but he says, I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is, it is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, it's not he, I'm not here to remove any rules and regulations. I'm here to show you how to live within rules and regulations with the grace that I supply for you to be able to lead you and walk in those. We need those 10 commandments. They're good. We don't teach our kids the 10 commandments and then be like, yeah, just forget about that once you get to Matthew. I taught you these when we were, you were little. Now we're in Matthew. Forget about those and you can just do two things. Jesus said, love, your Lord, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two kind of sum up the Ten Commandments. But we don't, we don't discount and discard the Ten Commandments when we get to the New Testament. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish, I didn't come to, to remove, to throw it out. I've come to fulfill it and show you how to live within that. When the law came into the picture, sin grew and grew. Wherever sin grew and spread, God's grace was there in a fuller um, expression of what was happening. That's why uh, when he stepped in, when Jesus stepped into the, the limelight, they didn't understand how he was operating. They're like, well, we, we follow all these and we have like, you know, you guys ever have, you know, 10 commandments on the wall? You know, the Pharisees had their 600, so their entire wall was just painted with the entire, you know, this wake up in the morning. Yep. Did that one, did that one, did that one, did that one, you know? And, um, but Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of this. I've come to show you, I've come to fulfill it and make it complete to show you how to live. You know, you can't talk about grace and you can't talk about his mercy to us without actually talking about the law. We have to have the law in order to have grace. There had to be sin. There had to be rules and regulations for that grace to step into place. There had to be sin in, in, in the law for grace to grow and to abound and flourish in our lives. Excuse me. The law had to be unattainable so that Jesus could walk into the picture and usher in grace. 
Think about this. God had simple things for, his, for Adam and Eve in the garden. Just don't do this. One rule. Just don't do this. One rule. And then you had one job and you couldn't do it. He's like, you had one job. Um, and then they get removed from the garden. And then hundred, you know, a couple thousand years later, or whatever. Sorry, I can't think of the timeline right now. But um, children of Israel, they're in Egypt. And he's like, hey, by the way, I'm going to release you. I'm going to give you grace. And you're going to walk out of Egypt with the riches of Egypt. And you're going to go to the promised land. And what do they do? They screw that up. And he needs Ten Commandments. And he, Moses comes down out of the mountain. He's like, I got some good news. And they're all worshiping a golden cow. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. I gave you a couple days. You can't get... He's like, I'm gone two days and you're up over here building idols to some other random God. And he's like, I can't even turn my back on you. You know, here's Moses. He's going up the mountain. He's like, you know, can't even trust his own brother to, to you know, do those things. But and then God gives them Ten Commandments to, for them to live by. And then they start building. You know, he's like, one of them's like, you shall have no other God but me and they're like he gets down and Moses is like yep they blew that one already and but the law had to be there it had to be so unattainable by man's rules and man's description that Jesus came to satisfy those rules and to fulfill those so we could have relationship it wasn't Jesus just being there in person it was Jesus's life death burial and resurrection that came to fulfill all those So Romans 6 says this. It says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning? No. I love it how it says this in the message. It says, do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? <laughs> it's, it's funny. You know, um, when you first get born again, you, you, sometimes you just keep going to God every day. Oh, I'm so sorry for this. And you just keep, you keep doing that mindset that I just have to keep repenting for everything I, who I am until you start to understand who God created you to be. You ever, uh, you know, sometimes where you, in life, you'll have like, you'll go and you'll not do so well. And you'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I, I didn't, didn't understand it. And you just, you, you until we grasp things, sometimes we're just like, oh, I'm so sorry. I messed that up. I didn't know how to do that. Um, I should have, you know, asked or whatever. I think that's the way we are as Christians. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm so sorry, God. I did this and I did this and I, and I got angry. And, and God's like, I understand that. I know that. But until we start to grasp who he is and who he's created us to be and what he did in us through salvation, we're going to keep going back to it. And you go, God, just forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He's like, you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is, a, is something that we do. When God says you're forgiven, that means it, it's, it's, there's a permanency there. there. There's something that's been there and now it's wiped clean. But we keep going back, oh, you know, God, I'm just a horrible sinner. He's like, no, no, you're not. The moment we are born again, we are not a horrible sinner. We are alive to Christ. We are dead to sin. Sometimes we, we start dragging that old man behind us, but it's, it's about letting go of the old and embracing the new, understanding who God has created us to be, that we don't have to walk in sin, that we don't have to live a lifestyle of it. There may be momentary 
times in our life that we have sin, but it's not a lifestyle of it where every day it's this and every day it's the same thing. It's the, it's the same addictions, it's the same habits, it's the same lifestyle. So we don't keep sinning so that God can keep forgiving. I like what it says here. It says, that's what the baptism into the life of Jesus means. That when we were lowered into the water, it was like the burial of Jesus. When we were raised out of the water, it was like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into the light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-filled country. So when we are, the, the baptism is a representation of us being buried going dead to sin and coming up a new man, alive to Christ Jesus. So a, um, an author, his name is Philip Wyja, he says this, he says, Mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor in his mercy. God does not give us punishment we deserve, namely hell. Um, but he says, while his grace God gives us, while in his grace God gives us a gift we do not deserve, namely heaven. Our lives need to exude the grace that God has extended to us, to other people. Here's the thing is, we, I think sometimes we have to look at the story of the, um, the three servants. And the, the ruler says, oh, you owe me $16 million, but I'm going to forgive you of that, of that. Go and live your life. And then he sees the guy that owes him 10 bucks, and he's like, give me your money. Give me the money you owe me now. While the grace that was extended to him for not owing the master $16 million was extended to him, he can't extend the grace for the guy that owes him 10 bucks. And I think our lives need to start to live out the life of Jesus and extend the grace to people that even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't... Um, Act like it. we need to start to live that, that life of grace and extend grace and mercy to people because you know, how are they going to see Jesus? If we can't extend grace and mercy to the people around us, how are they going to see Jesus? How are they going to come to know Jesus? When people are around us or near us, they need to experience His grace. And sometimes it's just the way you act. Sometimes it's the way you carry yourself that will allow them to experience the grace of God. You know, the tangible experience of the, uh, experience of the Holy Spirit and His grace and the loving mercy of God extended to people in the person of, of Jesus Christ, showing them who Jesus is, walking out a lifestyle like Jesus so that when they, they meet you, they meet a little piece of Jesus. Think about it. Every one of us carry a little piece of, of Jesus in us. Our life is, it, is going to represent a little piece of Jesus in every, everywhere we go. It's how we decide to act, how we decide to carry our lives. Are they going to experience a little bit of heaven today? Are they going to experience a little bit of Jesus' love and kindness towards them? Jesus extended grace and extended his high form of grace every, to every man everywhere he went. Think about this. Jesus is being nailed to the cross and they're gambling 
for his robes and his crown of thorns, whatever, the, whatever was there, whatever he was wearing, they're gambling for it. And what does he say? Matthew, excuse me, Matthew. Luke 23, 34 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing as they divided up his clothing by casting lots. So think about this. Jesus didn't say, I forgive you. I'm extending you grace. I'm extending you mercy. He called out his father and said, forgive them. That, that, that's, that's way beyond him. Again, we all understand Jesus is God and he was man. In, but we have to understand, he's not, calling, he's not saying, I forgive you for doing what you did to me. He says to his father, can you forgive them for me? Please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had such a compassion for them, even while they're, they're laughing and they're nailing them to the cross, they're gambling for his robes. He's saying, I've already forgiven you. He says, Father, forgive them. He was asking God to extend grace and mercy onto the, man, the people who crucified him at that, on that hill. So my question to you is, is how do we reveal the grace of God and the kindness of God and the mercy of God to people? I think sometimes it's, it's walking in a place where we don't hold faults over them. You know, we all work with people and you, you probably know, we can, you work with them enough and you can see their faults, you, your spouses, you know their faults. But how do, we, how do we extend the grace of God to people by not holding their own faults and sins and issues over them. Think about it. Jesus never said, hey, by the way, um, I'm coming, and he didn't come to Zacchaeus and say, hey, I'm coming to your house today, and while we're having dinner together, I'm going to just jab at you and say, oh, you're a bad tax collector, you're stealing from people. He said, no, I'm going to come to your house today. He, he extended a, gr a grace to them because the grace allowed Zacchaeus to come near to Jesus and be transformed. Yeah. And then the mercy of God was extended to him. But Jesus could have sat at the table and said, hey, you know, all the people sitting around, Zacchaeus, you did this, you did this, you did this. Oh, by the way, and I remember, I remember seeing this, and you did this, and you talked to this person, you robbed this person of this money, and you doubled it when you shouldn't have doubled it. And you're this, and you're this, and this. And he didn't. He said, I'm coming to come to your house. I'm going to have dinner with you, and I'm going to have a conversation with you like you're my best friend. I think, did Jesus call out some of their sin? Yes, I absolutely believe he did. I don't think Jesus could not say, hey, this is what's happening. He looked at the woman at the well. He said, I know what's happened. You had this, this, and this. You had a husband. You had boyfriends. You're living with this guy. But I've come to give you a, a living water. So he, extend, he, he would talk to them. But what he would do is he would give them so much grace that they wanted to be near him. And I think as we live a life. I don't think we can excuse sin and we don't think we, we sweep it under the rug until you have a, a six foot, you know, rug that's standing there and you're like, oh yeah, this is just the stuff I've swept under because I don't want to deal with it and I don't want to do anything. I don't think we excuse it and sweep it under the rug and hide it, but I think we extend mercy and grace to people and say, you know what? God loves you. He loves you where you're at, no matter if you're sinner, sinning right now, if you're not sinning right now, no matter if you are born again or not born again, God still loves you and he can bring you in. And you look at Jesus' ministry, he did that. He didn't just like 
walk down the streets and people are like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, uh, you're a sinner. I can't heal you today. Oh, your sin's too great for me to deal with. Think about it. You know, some of the people that he had as his close people was Mary Magdalene, and she was a prostitute. When Jesus met her, she was demon-possessed. And think about that. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, I'll cast out the demon, but, you know, your past life I can't deal with because you were a prostitute, and that's really going to affect my ministry, and I really don't want to be associated with you. No, he said no. He, he cast the demon out of her, and she gets transformed, and he brings her in and says, you're part of my ministry. You're part of my group of people. And what, what happened was is this, is because of what he did, she was the first person to see him resurrected. Can you imagine that? You know, you're all sitting in a meeting, you know, oh, Jesus resurrected. Yeah, I saw him first. You know, th think about this. He extended grace and mercy to her while she was a sinner. He gave her the ability to come near to God. And he didn't look at her faults. He knew what she did. He probably said, this is who, what you do, and this is how your life is. And, but he said, I'm going to have mercy on you. I'm going to give you grace that we can have a relationship. Because here's the great thing about, he is the, there's only one person in the New Testament that can give forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And so Jesus said, you know, hey, I know what you're doing. I know your life. I know where you've been, but I still love you. And I'm going to give you grace and you can come near to me. Think about it. His disciples, everybody talks about, oh, yeah, the disciples, they were knuckleheads. But we don't know the life they lived before Jesus. We don't know if they were honest men. We don't know if they were men of character. But Jesus never really used a lot of people of character to do his ministry. I mean, look at Paul. The one guy that's trying to destroy Jesus' entire work, you know, his three-year ministry of, of salvation and believers and, and Christians, Paul's trying to destroy. And she's like, yeah, I like that guy. I can use him. And what does he do? Is he extends his mercy to Paul while he's on the road to Damascus. He says, Paul, or excuse me, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, if God is speaking to you while you're on the road and a bright light comes, and he's like, why are you persecuting me? I would change too. I would instantly go, yeah, I, what I was doing was probably wrong. But God said, you know what? I'm not going to choose people of character. I'm looking for people who are sinners because sinners understand forgiveness. Sinners understand when, the, when grace and mercy are extended to them so that when they, they come to me, they will understand me. I guarantee you all those disciples, Matthew was a tax collector. I'm pretty sure he was not really well-liked and probably very dishonest, as most tax collectors were. Because here's the thing is, tax collectors weren't collecting for the Jewish people. They were collecting for the Romans. And they liked to take their cut. And tax collectors were usually pretty wealthy. So, But Jesus said, hey, I can see value in this person. I see someone who, has, who can have character, who can have integrity, who can have trust. And Jesus called them. He said, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. And Matthew left 
his tax collector booth and just walked away from it. He called fishermen and said, hey, follow me. Leave your nets. Leave your father. Follow me. Jesus walked in a place where his grace was extended to them and he didn't, see, he didn't call them by their faults. He called them who they were, who he saw they were. And I think that's our job is to call people who God sees them to be. Not, oh, you did this in your past and that's who you kind of stay. You still wear that, that, you know, think about this. You got, anybody ever read The Scarlet Letter? Yeah, that book? Any, yeah. The book's horrible. I'm just saying. Think about this. If God pinned uh, something on you every time you did something wrong and said, this is who you are, boom, I pin this on you. This is what you did, I pin this on you. And put that little sign that says they did this and they did this. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. He says, I'm going to call you. You come to me. I'm going to call, I'll start to call out who you are before you even come to me. He did this with Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, you're a tax collector. Come here, munchkin. And he got him out of the tree and he's like, hey, I know who you are, but I love you. I'm just paraphrasing here. I'm, I'm not saying Jesus said this. He's like, I know who you are. I love you. I see value in you. You have a place. He did this with his disciples. Matthew, you're cheating people, but I see value in you. Leave your job. Follow me. You're going to be this. Peter, James, John, you're fishermen. You're hot, hot-headed. You're sporadic. You don't know if you want to stay or go. Thomas, you don't believe a word I'm saying right now, but I see value in you. Judas, you're going to betray me. Didn't say that to him. He's like, I know you're going to betray me, but I still see value in you. I still see that Jesus saw people the way that his father saw them, as a valuable piece of his kingdom. And I think we need to start to walk that way. Extend grace to people and start to see people like God sees people. Sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes it's hard to look past the exterior to get past and say, you know what, there's something about that person that God really loves. If God can, um, can use a, a demon-possessed prostitute for his ministry and a, a mass murderer in Paul, I think he can use us. I think he sees value in us. I think he sees value in our past mistakes, our past faults, our past sins. And we have to start to look at people and say, you know what? It doesn't matter where you are, where you've come from. Jesus is standing there and he's like, come on in. I'm just waiting. Jesus is just waiting for them. Jesus just, was just waiting for us. The moment we met Jesus, Jesus is like, finally, I've been waiting here. And he's like, you know, he probably didn't say that sarcastically, but he's like, finally, I've been waiting here. You know, it's in a nice softer tone probably, but... um. Think about it. Jesus was waiting for us. Is he not waiting for them? If Jesus saw value in us to bring us into his kingdom, does he not see value in everyone else? The people that are hard to get along with, the people that are miserable to be around, God still sees a value in them. Because he's, what we see as the external is just the, the byproduct of sin and rebellion and hatred for themselves but God says, I see through that. I see value in you. I see who you actually are, who I created you to be. And I see where you can be. So when we have that person that is just hard to be around, and that grace to be extended to them, we have to think about it. It's not us extending grace. It's God 
allowing us to extend grace. And if we love God, as we say we love God, and we love people like we say we love people, then we need to extend that to them. But the, the mercy and grace of God was extended to us and, and through us. We're, we're called to what? Reconciliation? That means we're called to reconcile people to Jesus. We're called to be uh, administrators of reconciliation. We're called to lead people to Jesus so they can be reconciled to him. We need to look past that rough exterior. We need to start looking past that sin. We need to start to look at the value that they have in Jesus. Because God created them in his image just the same way as he created us. You know, there, there's people, and, and we're all guilty of this. I, you know, like, I know God loves them, but man, I don't know. You're just like, I just want to go smack them. But God still loves them. It's, it's, we have to stop looking past the, the mode of operation and start to look at the, the, um, the character that God has called out. And start to look at it and say, okay, this person drives me absolutely insane. I can't work with this person. Look for something that is good in them that God loves. Start to find something. You know, find something that is, is, is a good characteristic in that person and say, man, God sees that. And you need, to, you need to call that out and then say, man, you are so good at this. You, God loves that. You are so good at being whatever it is. I don't know. I don't work with you guys. But start calling that gold out in them. Start calling the goodness of God out in them. Start calling the characteristic that God sees out in them. Because it, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to extend grace and pull them into the, the arms of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to call them out and say, you know what? God loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He sees more in you than I do. Don't say that part. Um, but God always sees more in people than we do. We see, we see about this much, and God sees all of this. We're like, oh, I don't know. You ever been that way? You're, we're all that way. We're all that judgmentally like, man, how does God deal with that? And he's like, how did I deal with you? But how do we reveal the grace of God to people? by us extending them grace and mercy and calling out who God has created them to be and saying, God sees value in you. Okay, that value is a hyphen. You have to put whatever that word is in there. God sees value, but whatever you see that they're good at and what God has given them as a gift or a calling, start to call that value out in them. Say, man, God loves that. God, just encourage them. Man, you're so good at this. God is just... God's really proud of you. And they're going to be like, what? They're going to give you that weird face. But it's going to open a door to extend them more grace, more mercy, and show, and show them who actually cares for them. Because Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they're not know, they don't know what they're doing. A lot of people we're around, they don't know what they're doing. They're trapped in this fog of sin and um, a, a detachment from God that they don't know what they're doing. They're living in this mindset that they can just do, they're going to be fine and it's, everything's just working out. And it's not true. They have, there's something inside of them that is yearning and nagging at them to be reconciled to God. They don't even realize. Sometimes they, they've had it for so long that they've learned to ignore it. But there's something in their spirit that is calling out to be reconciled to God, to be one with God, to be transformed into who God has called them to be, but sometimes they just shove it way down deep so they don't have to listen to it anymore.
start to call that out. Wake that up. Make them uncomfortable. Because God is, Jesus is standing at the door. We have this stupid dog doorbell at home. And when the dogs want out and they want in, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And then sometimes they want in and they just don't ever stop ringing. It just knows the door. It always knows, knows, knows. And it just, I think Jesus is sometimes that way. He's like, Penny, you there? Knock, knock, knock. And he just, Jesus is knocking, but they've learned to ignore that. They pull the doorbell out of the plug-in and they shove it off to the side and they ignore it. And if I ignore it, it'll go away. But Jesus is still there. And he's like, oh, doorbell's gone? And he's waiting. Call them out. Not call them out, but call out the good in them. Call out what God has placed in them and make, that, make them uncomfortable. Because it's going to start to bring up that, that thing that they've pushed down, that thing that they've ignored for so long that they know they need to be reconciled to Jesus. Let's pray.